We're going to read two short sections today. So chapter 11, first of all, we're going to begin reading from verse 4 and go to verse 10, and then we're going to move on to chapter 12, verse 21. So first of all, chapter 11, verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's hearts, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Now moving on to chapter 12, and we'll read from verse 21 to 32. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go, and also bless me. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank God for his word. Super. Well, let's open our Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 12 as we we try to take the, the Passover as a whole, as we try to look at Uh, this final uh, of the the ten signs and wonders, and uh, the 
the, right at the, the pinnacle of all that has happened throughout uh, these chapters as we come into Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12. So I wonder, have you ever had a phone call from uh, one of your parents or remember a phone call from one of your parents saying, you better have the house cleaned for whenever I come home? Or perhaps uh, mom and dad have headed off on holidays and it's been bliss for a week. Uh, there's been no chores done and the hour looms where they're coming back and you dread the fact that you might receive a phone call to say that our flight's been moved forward because you have a time down to the very last minute whenever the house will be spotless and it'll look like nothing ever happened during the week. The piles of clothes will be washed, the dishes will be washed, everything will be hoovered and clean. Uh, uh, or you, you hear that, that threat, you better have the room cleaned, or you better have the washing done. Uh, but you know really with inside yourself that uh, you're in action. It, it will have a consequence. If you leave the big pile of dishes, there will be a consequence. But you hope that that consequence won't be fatal, okay? It shouldn't be fatal for you, you hope, okay? Now, when the command is given, there is obedience, because you recognize the one who's giving it. The one who's given the command has authority over you as the child in the household. They have authority over, over you, and so you humble yourself and you obey. You wash the dishes, you hoover up, you clean the room. Well, uh, take that same principle. Very different consequences, but take the same principle, because the same principle is at play here in Exodus 11 and in chapter 12, and in fact, the whole encounter with Pharaoh and with the Lord through Moses, it's, it's really this, this idea from Pharaoh that I am not going to recognize your authority. I'm not going to humble myself and do as you say. Instead, I'm going to go my own way, and he has to bear the consequence of doing that. In his arrogance, he fails to do what the Lord has told him. And so, as we come into these two chapters, remember we're saying that Exodus is the picture book of the Lord's salvation. What we find here in Exodus 11 and Exodus 12 will be found in the New Testament. We will see it in all of its color in the New Testament. And so, what we see sketched out for us here in Exodus is really, really important for us. What we have witnessed is the ten signs and wonders. They're a mark of God's judgment, but they're also His means of grace, aren't they? Through the, the ten signs and wonders, He shows His people who He really is, and He's extending grace to the Egyptians, saying, look and watch, know, see who I am, and worship me. As we thought about last week, chapter 6, if you've got your Bible, chapter 6 and verses 6 through 7, those key verses to understand what's going on. Chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. The Lord speaks and He says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God Remember, we thought about this. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. The Lord's doing a great work so that people will know, not just for this generation, but for every generation to come right up to today, that we can look all the way back into the Exodus and what happens in Egypt, and we can see His mighty arm at work to rescue His people, and we can say with certainty that our God lives and rules 
and reigns. That the things He promises to do, that He will do them. Now, as we turn to this wonderful passage of the Passover with all of its depth, I listened to a Tim Keller sermon on this earlier this week, and he said to understand what's happening in Exodus, you need to look to Genesis, so we have to go backward into Genesis as we stand in Exodus. But not only do you have to look backward, you have to look forward to Jesus to understand what's happening here in Exodus. So that's exactly what we're going to try to do this morning, okay? We're going to try and look backward into Genesis and understand what's happening there. We're going to spend some time in Exodus, and then we're going to look forward to what happens in the New Testament. So we'll see three things uh, as we make our way through this, and the first is this, the missing lamb of Genesis. Whenever we come to this, we come to this passage, and we hear about death. It's a heavy passage, isn't it? That section of text that that Stephen read for us just a few moments ago, that verse 6 of chapter 11, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. This is a moment of, of great distress. Household after household, neighbor after neighbor, There is a dead firstborn in their house. It's a time of great mourning. And into the midst of all of this, we have this lamb. This lamb that we're told, if you look at it through chapter 12, you'll see it there, the instructions that you'll take a lamb. Uh, Verse 5, he'll be without blemish, a male, a year old. You will take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, of chapter 12, you shall keep it until the 14th day, then you shall kill it at twilight, and you'll take the blood and you put it over the door. What is going on? What's going on with this lamb? Well, to us, it's hard to understand what's happening in Exodus if we don't go back into Genesis. We call Jesus the Lamb of God. There's a lamb in Exodus, but where does it all start? Well, it all begins in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. Genesis 4 and verse 4, Abel offers the firstborn lambs of his flock, and the Lord accepts Abel's gift, his offering. And what we see in that moment is this. Sin has entered the world, and Abel makes a a sacrifice. He gives his firstborn of his flocks over, and those firstborn lambs, they, they do what? They make a payment for sin. They're a substitute, if you like. Abel says, Lord, see this instead of me. See these lambs instead of me, and be pleased with these lambs. And the Lord is. It's a substitute for Abel. It's him making a payment in some little way for his sin, and the lamb is covering sin, even if it's only for a little while. And so the lamb dies in place of Abel. But then what happens is Cain, the firstborn, struck down his righteous younger brother. And this is what we have. Remember, we've been saying this throughout Exodus, the battle of the seed lines. Here we see it, the seed line of the serpent and the seed line of the woman. And Cain and Abel are the first portrayal of that. 
the, the seed line of the serpent trying to strike down the seed line of the woman, because the seed line of the serpent knows what? That one day one will come, because God promises it in chapter uh, 3 and verse 15 of Genesis, that one will come and crush its head. Okay? And so this great battle begins between the two seed lines. And that continues. And there's an emphasis throughout Genesis then on the firstborn. Now, I realize that this is a lot of background, and this is maybe a little bit harder for us to, to maintain and keep our heads with, but stick with me. There's an emphasis on the firstborn, and the firstborn carries the family line. The firstborn carries the responsibility for the family. We live in a very individualistic culture. We don't understand this in the same way that, that this culture did. Whenever someone in the family sinned in this culture, the whole family were responsible. If someone in the family did something shameful, then the whole family experienced shame. If there was guilt on one person's behalf, the whole family had to bear that. And the firstborn had particular, had particular rights and particular privileges. The hopes of the family were on the firstborn. And so then, whenever we come... Genesis 22, that's our next big marker, Genesis 22. And what happens in Genesis 22? It's Abraham and Isaac. Remember, they're going up the hill for the sacrifice. Whenever the Lord asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it's, it's not a surprise in this culture because Isaac has to be sacrificed for the sins of his family. The Lord, as it were, is calling in the debt. There is sinful people, and the sin needs paid for, and it has to be paid by someone, and so the, the firstborn in this family is going to pay for it. He's calling in the debt. And so in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 7, as they walk up the hill, Isaac says, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abel's lamb, the lamb paying for sin. And then it comes to Isaac, and he says, where, where is the lamb? And in verse 8, Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. But do you remember we thought about this? Verse 13 of chapter 22, behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And the point is, where is the lamb? Isaac, Isaac isn't sacrificed. There's a, a ram sacrificed in his place that makes substitution for him and for his family, but there's no lamb. We're waiting for the lamb, the missing lamb of Genesis. Where is the lamb? The lamb that will make payment, the lamb that will stand in the place of sinners. Well, then come with me to our second point, the temporary lamb of Exodus. Now the lamb appears. Now this lamb comes, and we can see it. It's here right at the very end of all the signs and wonders. As they have been reaching its crescendo, here they are, and the Lord says, take a lamb. You see, the Exodus is a, is a picture. It's a stencil of what is to come. The shoots of the gospel are here, but they're not yet in full flower. And so, as we arrive, what do we see? This, this great contest between God and the false gods of Egypt. 
And we have seen time and time again through the signs and wonders that our God belittles. He, he, he strikes down the false gods of Egypt, and here He will do it fully and completely, and this showdown will end in death. Why? Well, it's a sign of God's wrath, isn't it? It's a picture of what is to come for those who fail to worship Him. You remember how we thought about the signs and wonders are mirrored in Revelation chapter 16? How in one sense this is the, the first run of them, but in, in chapter 16 of Revelation they are intensified. But the beauty of this chapter is that God provides a rescue. God provides a covering. God provides a way for all who will listen to Him, for all who will obedient, be obedient. He speaks, and He says, this, this destroyer that's going to be released, verse 23 of chapter 12, this destroyer that I will, that I will re release upon Egypt, who will come and who will strike down the firstborn, this destroyer, well, his power will be stopped by what? By a lamb. What? A little lamb is going to destroy the, the great outstretched arm of the Lord? A little lamb will, will be the one that will rescue us? A little lamb will be the one that enables the destroyer to pass over us? Yes, a little lamb. You see the seriousness of the situation in verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and of all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. There's no room for messing around. There's no room for ifs or buts or for maybes. When the Lord comes, He says, I will execute my judgments, for I am the Lord. I have extended my grace. I have given sign after sign after sign after sign so that the people would relent and would worship me, so that Pharaoh would, would not harden his heart, would not turn his own way. But now my judgment will fall. But there's a way. Chapter 12 and verse 5, take a lamb without blemish. Verse 7, take the blood of this lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lintel. In verse 8, you have to make unleavened bread. Why? Why unleavened? Because, well, the leaven takes time for the bread to rise, and so make it without the leaven because you're going to have to leave quickly. There will be bitter herbs. You see the bitter herbs? That's to represent the suffering that the God's people have endured in Egypt. And then in verse 13, what will the blood be? The blood will be a sign. When I see the blood, I will pass over. So, will it come to pass? Will the Lord strike down? Verse 29, the Lord struck down all the firstborn, and there was a great cry in Egypt. 
Verse 30, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. But the good news is that the people sheltering under the blood, they are safe. The Lord will see those who were faithful, and He will pass over them. He would know those who had honored Him, those who had worshipped Him. He would have mercy upon. Those who sought shelter in the Lord, well, they would have nothing to fear. And for all those who had not acknowledged the Lord, the sentence was death. So, how do, we, how do we start to apply this? Well, we see, we should all see this morning that we are we're, we're just in the same situation as the Egyptians and the Israelites. No distinction that all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's what Romans teach us. All have sinned. And so, all of us, by our very birth, by our very nature, we are sinful human beings. This great disease that has been passed on to us generation after generation, and no one escapes it. This is who we are. And our sins need paid for. It's really simple. It's a simple equation. We have sinned against the holy God, and He is just, and therefore that means that a payment has to be paid for sin. And it's really simple. Either we pay it ourselves, or we find a substitute for the wages of sin is death. And so, death covers Egypt. Every house in that street at midnight, you can imagine, a candle lights up, the firstborn lies stone cold, house after house, crying heard, thousands upon thousands upon thousands are dead. And not just the Egyptians, but those Israelites who were disobedient too. A quote will come up for us from Tim Chester. I found this really helpful. He says that the Israelites had to daub the blood on the doorposts precisely because they were as guilty as the Egyptians. All people in the same boat. It's just the Israelites who seem to obey. And so, the Lamb of Exodus does what? The Lamb of Exodus makes a temporary covering for the sin of all of those in the house. And it's not difficult to add the sketch. If, if Exodus is the sketch then, it's not difficult to start to add the color as we come to the New Testament. You see, the picture of humanity is this, that we have fallen short, that by birth we're under the wrath of a holy God. And all who harden their hearts, who turn their backs, who think that they know better, will face death and judgment. Judgment shall come. Humanity is in great danger. And so it should be obvious. We need a substitute. We need someone to pay. We're guilty and we're in need. So in Genesis, where is the lamb? In Exodus, we're thinking we have a temporary lamb. But in John's gospel, we meet our final point, the needed lamb. The needed lamb. You see, the whole of the Old Testament, what are the people waiting for? What are the people of God waiting for? They're waiting for the, the ultimate lamb, the lamb that will come, that will no longer need to be sacrificed again and again and again, that instead of a temporary covering, deliverance will come. The one who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. 
the, the great lamb, a substitute, a sacrifice, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, someone who will come and who will pay for sin. And so, come with me to John's gospel. Feel the drama of this. The missing lamb of Genesis, the temporary lamb of Exodus, and then in John's gospel, in chapter 1, and verse 29, these words thunder to us, and they should strike straight at our heart. John chapter 1 and verse 29, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here He is. Here is the much-needed Lamb. Here's the Lamb that we have been waiting for. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the Lamb. And everybody should breathe a, a sigh of relief. This Lamb will deliver. This Lamb will rescue this lamb will be greater than all those who have gone before. By this lamb we shall know salvation. And then come with me to, to whenever Jesus is in the upper room, all the way through to the end of John's gospel, in the chapter 17. And Jesus prays his high priestly prayer. You see, what's happening here in the upper room? In this moment in the upper room, what would have happened at the Passover feast? Well, the Passover feast is what Jesus is celebrating here. As, as He gathers with His disciples, as they meet together and as they celebrate this, and as Jesus prays for all those whom the Father has given to Him, what has happened generation after generation, they have enjoyed this Passover feast it's been a big arrow for them all the way through the Old Testament, and they're waiting for the Lamb. It's to remind them of God and who He is and what He has done. The Lamb that would sit in the middle of the, of the table would represent the Passover Lamb whose blood was shed. The leaven to remember them about what we're coming to next week, about the exodus, the time that they had to leave quickly the bitter herbs to remind the people of the suffering, but to remember or to remind them of God's great promise. And so here, this feast has been celebrated year after year, and Jesus now stands, and whenever the Passover feast was celebrated, there was someone who would conduct it, someone who would explain, someone who would teach through the various elements. They would point to the lamb, and they would say, remember, this is to do with. Remember the leaven, this is to do with. The herbs, this is to represent. And so here the disciples are, they're in the upper room, but what's missing? Do you ever think that? We, 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 have, we have the bread, and we have wine, but right at the center of this meal is a lamb, and there's no lamb on the table. Now, why is there no lamb on the table? Because the lamb's not on the table, the lamb's at the table. John said, behold, 
the Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. As Jesus celebrates the Passover, as He says, my body will be broken for you, the disciples should see it in in big shining lights, and yet they miss it, that He is the Lamb who will go and whose blood will be shed. His blood will be smeared across the, the wood of the cross. The Lamb who will lay down His life, the only begotten Son of God, And He was, what, the perfect and spotless Lamb, because all the things that are true in Exodus of the Lamb have to be true of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, 19 says this, but the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish, He was perfect. No sin found in Him. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, whenever Paul says, for Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. So when John announces, behold the Lamb of God, we should rejoice. And whenever he says, behold, what does that mean? It it means that we should think about the Lamb, grasp the Lamb, lay hold of the Lamb, shelter under the Lamb, look to the Lamb. Let's boil this all down for the significance. What, What difference does this make to you and me today? The difference is this that you know, each of us, and I know in our conscience that before a holy God, we stand condemned. And we cannot rely on anything. If we appear before the judgment throne of our God, and we go and reach for anything else, if we say, but Lord, look at my good works. Lord, look at my name. Look at how I was a good citizen. Look at how much I gave to the church. Look at how much I learned of the catechism. Look at how much I did of this, or I did of this, or I did of this. The Lord will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, and you will be placed under judgment and death in hell forever. And I don't need to convince you of that. Sure I don't. Our conscience does it. We know the parts of our life that we want to keep hidden from the Lord. We know the mess that we've made in our life. We know the mistakes that we've made. We know where even this week we have acted in ways that we shouldn't have. We have thought things that we shouldn't have. We have done things in the past that we shouldn't have done. And you know what they are. And you might be able to fool people in this life, but you'll not be able to fool the Lord. And so what we see is Isaac was spared by sheltering behind the blood of the ram. And Israel was spared by sheltering under the blood of the lamb. And you and I can be spared by sheltering under the blood of the lamb of God. Because whenever we stand before the Lord, or He returns, we're going to have to answer this question, what's our shelter? What What are we hiding under? Good works? All of the things that we have mentioned? Is that our shelter? Is that going to shelter us from the wrath of a holy God? 
You see, in Revelation chapter 6, the Lord appears, and the people that we hear of in Revelation chapter 6, they have no covering. There's no shelter. And what do they cry out? Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and amongst the rocks of the mountains. And what did they call out? They called out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for, great, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who shall stand? See what, what people who are not under the blood of the Lamb say? Let the rocks fall on us. Let them cover us. Let the rocks hide us. Maybe if a great rock covers us, maybe if the Lord throws down the mountains of Morn and we are at the foot of that and the mountains of Morn fall on top of us, that that will save us from His wrath, and it won't. And on that day, it's too late. But the great news is this, that there's shelter to be found where at the cross of Calvary. There's shelter to be found under the blood of the Lamb that was shed on Calvary. And the good news is that His blood, the Lord Jesus' blood, is sufficient. Sufficient for each sin that we have committed, each action that we have committed, each thing that we have messed up on, each mistake that we've made. And your temptation will be to say, but John, I've done this. His blood is sufficient. As the destroyer passed over Egypt that night, he saw the blood, and the people were saved. And so, friends, today, if we are under the blood of Jesus, under the blood of the cross of Calvary, under His blood, sheltering under Him, claiming Him to be our refuge and our fortress, then we will enjoy life, and the wrath of God will be taken by our shelter, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we as a sense will be under His wings and find refuge there, and we shall be safe. So as we finish, Tim Keller says this, he says, in Exodus, you see, the picture is this. It's either a dead lamb or a dead son. And as the, the Israelites gathered in their home that night, and as they enjoyed that feast, each one in the family would have done what? They would have looked at the lamb, and they, they would have said, it was either you or it was us. It's either the Lamb that takes the punishment, or it's me. It's either the Lamb that stands as the substitute, or it's me. It's either the Lamb that makes the payment, or it's me. And so, be sure of this, that each of us will have to make a payment. And it's either the Lamb of God, God's only Son, or it's you. And, and I would preach from now to four o'clock in the afternoon if I could convince you to cry on to the Lamb and behold the Lamb 
and say, Lord, I see that I need to shelter under you today and forevermore, and you have provided a sacrifice for me in your only Son, and He has shed His blood in love for us, that by His grace we might be saved through faith if we would just believe. Jesus comes and He says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I will turn away the wrath of God. No mess too great. No person too far gone. He comes to give us life so that we would be born again. And then, as we shelter under the blood, we will not fear what? We will not fear anything in this life or the life to come. Death will have no hold on us because Jesus has conquered death. He has risen. And just as we shelter under the blood, we know that we are united to Him and we will reign and rule with Him forevermore. And so this changes everything in our life, doesn't it? This news, if we shelter under the blood of the Lamb, changes everything. Because no matter what you take from me, if you, if you take every worldly possession that a person has, if you take everything from them, you can't take this. Sheltering under the blood. And so no matter how bad things get in the Christian's life, what can we still do? We can still rejoice. Behold the Lamb of God. He has taken away my sin. And I will enjoy His presence forevermore. And no one will snatch me out of His hand. For I am His. And He is mine. Please take shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's so much for us to unpack. There's so much that we haven't even touched upon here today. And yet the message is simple, that we must find our shelter under the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made a covering. He has made a payment. He is our substitute. And so may we be found under Him and under Him alone. Father, we think of those who on the last day will cry out that the rocks would cover them. For each soul that's found here in the meeting house this day, would that not be the case for us? Instead, would we know the shelter of the Lamb of God? Write this on our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's respond by singing together the words of Jerusalem, seeing the Lamb. Let's respond to Him.